So tonight, uh, what I want to do just for a few minutes is I want to kind of continue that dedication by looking at, uh, at looking at parenting. And, and I know, like I'm not a parent, so I know how it is. Grew up in church, and there was always like this series on marriage, you know, or series on family and all this kind of stuff. And I would just always just check out because I was like, well, I'm not married, I'm not a parent, so I don't know why I came today, that kind of deal. Let me just, let me just tell you why you need to pay attention if you're not a parent. Okay, one... You might one day be a parent. One day, that might happen. And it would be really good for you to be prepared for that. And so some of the things you'll hear uh, in these next few minutes, will, will, I think, would prepare you for that. The second thing is, even though if you're not a parent, you're a part of a church community that is filled with parents. And so you and I need to know how to, how to support them, how do we join them, like what's going on here, and things that a lot of times we don't understand right away from looking at it because we're not in the trenches. Uh, we need to have a good understanding of that. And then if you are parents, uh, the application will be obvious. So Deuteronomy 6 is, uh, is such, a, such an obvious place to go in a parenting series. I'm, I keep making it feedback. I don't know why. Probably my super masculine, manly voice. It's just overwhelming to the microphone. I know a lot of you don't know me, so you don't know that that's just how I joke. Um, Deuteronomy 6, we see, we see something that is, it is the central piece of scripture in Jewish community. Um, and one of the things that, that we're going to be looking at in the next couple of weeks, we kind of started it last week as, as a church, is... Uh, looking at the fact that, that there are certain, uh, what, what Paul calls in Romans 12, he calls them patterns of the world that we are not to conform to. So he says, Jesus has, has made you holy and acceptable, so present yourself as a, a sacrifice that is alive, living for his glory. Then um, he says, don't conform to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And then you'll be able to know what God's good and perfect will is. So he puts those two things against each other. He says there's patterns that the world form in the way of thinking. Um, he said, but your transformation will come from a renewed mind. And, and what he's essentially saying is God will teach you how to think. You're used to thinking in a worldly, in a worldly set of patterns, you know. You're used to watching movies and TV shows and listening to music and and, and spending time you know, reading magazines, looking on the internet, and, and there's so much that's out there. And then you have co-workers, then you have neighbors and family members who want nothing to do with Jesus. And so the way that they talk and think and approach life sets up these patterns. And he's saying, don't conform to those patterns. Jesus has made you new, so let him transform you by, by teaching you how to think, not again with those patterns, but really it's essentially patterns of the kingdom. And so what I want to do is I want to look at, at just three patterns that are found in the world in regard to family and parenting and look at ways we do not conform to those, but ways that we are transformed by thinking differently about family. Okay, so start in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as 
frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Okay? So he's obviously not joking around at all. All right? So in this text, I I think we we can see um, some commands that it would be good for us. So the first thing, first pattern of the world in regard to family um, is that um, people think that, that there's nothing more important than your family. Like it is, it's the most important relationship that you have, right? Uh, the great uh, theologian Vito Corleone said, uh, there's nothing more important than family. A man who doesn't spend time with his family, what? Am I? Huh? <laughs> is not a real man. And that's, that's the way, like, that's the approach of things, is, is that, no, no, there's nothing more important than that. And, and you, you don't betray the family, and you always put them ahead of everything else. And, and that's the way that the world tends to think, uh, that, there's, that there is no greater relationship in your life than your family. Now, one of the things about patterns of the world is that there's an element of goodness in a lot of them, you know? Like, that's good, right? It's very good for you to value your family highly, in fact, I think there's an argument to be made that, that, that those should be the, the most significant bonds that you have. But I, I think we have to clarify that and, and recognize that, that, that they should be the most significant bonds that you have with, with people on the earth. But there is something more important than your family. Jesus is more important than your family. So we go back to the verse. Hear, O Israel, it's verse 4. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. All right. When you look in the original language, it's basically saying the Lord our God, he's, he's the one and only God. He's the one and only God. They lived surrounded by uh, pluralism. So all kinds of gods, a God for this, a God for that, a God for that, and all that. And he says, for, no, no, Israel, the Lord our God, he is, he's one. He's the one and only God. So there's a... There's a uniqueness there. There's a loyalty that's there that he's called them to. And by grafting us into Israel, he's called us as well. Next verse. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might. Not a lot of wiggle room there. And so while the pattern of the world says there's nothing more important than family, the Christian worldview, the renewed mind that transforms us is, yes, my family, my family is of the utmost importance to me, except for my loyalty to Jesus. But God comes first. Now to some, there's not a lot of difference in those statements. When you start to think about it a little bit, it's, it's pretty big. That that. The order has to stay God, and then if you're married, if you're, because I know there are single parents too, but so it's God, and then if you're married, then it's your spouse, and then it's your kids, and then it's your community, and then it's you. So the pattern of the world says it's all about you, it's all about your family. Christian community, it's not, it's not how we function, that's not how we exist. That yes, your kids are important, but they're not more important than your spouse. Your spouse is important, but not more important than your God. So keeping that order is really important. That's why he lays it out all over God's word, saying, no, like it's it's not about balance, it's about order. 
So, parents, if you want your kids to grow up in a secure home, okay, this is going to sound weird, and, and I know that it'd be easy to dismiss me because I'm not a parent, but just trust the word, okay? If you want your kids to grow up in a secure home, make sure that they know that they're not number one. Make sure that they know that God comes first. And if you're married, that the spouse comes second. And then, then comes them. The tendency would be like, oh, isn't that going to make my kids like, feel weird? And what, they don't feel like they will, they'll grow up like all kind of this way and this way and this way. No, no. Trust. Trust the renewed mind. Trust the transformed life. Don't trust the pattern of the world. There needs to be an order there. And I think the, the, the pushback is like, why do, why do we have to compete, right? Why do we have to rank? You know, don't we sound like siblings trying to find out from mom and dad like who they love more? I have two brothers, and we've, we've done that, you know. I think everybody who grew up in a household with siblings at some point tried to, like, get your parents to admit. <laughs> He's the favorite, isn't he? You know? I don't know why we're like that. So I think it'd be easy to be like, oh, we shouldn't do that. It shouldn't be like, who do you love more in the family, the spouse or the kid? It shouldn't be about that. It should, we just love everybody the same. And I say, yeah, that'd be fine, except Jesus did it. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says, if you love your father and mother more than me, you're not worthy to be my disciple. If you love your son's daughters more than me, you're not fit to follow after me. What he's saying is there, there can't be a relational attachment in life that's greater than our commitment and our love for him. He's not saying hate your kids. He's not saying hate your parents. He's not saying don't value the family. He's saying value them, just value me more. When you value him more, he teaches you how to value them properly. And that's, that's where we want to be. That's where we want to be. So the pattern of the world says nothing more important than family. The renewed mind... And transform life says, yes, there's one thing that's more important, and that's Jesus. Right? Second thing, second pattern. I don't really know. This is, I guess, uh, you know, if people who come to our church regularly are kind of used to this style of teaching, so it's not, I couldn't narrow everything down to like three words that all start with the same letter or anything like that. Um, so the second pattern, let me just explain it to you uh, in kind of like a weird way. Um, a lot of times, the pattern of the world is, it's becoming this more and more, is like, don't force anything on your kids. You know, like, let them arrive at their own conclusions about things without your input, you know. So, you know, if, if your kids, like, if they want to, like, play soccer and take piano lessons and they want to learn how to paint and they want to learn how to, like, design websites... And uh, they want to do this and this and this and this and this. Then you need to find a way to make sure, like, let them do all that stuff and just, just let them just kind of go and kind of land where they are and whatever. Because you don't want to force them to do something because then they're going to they're gonna hate you or they're going to grow up to be, you know, weirdos or something. I couldn't narrow that down much. <laughs> but, you know, there's just, just this idea that, that, that you have to just kind of let your kids kind of, like, Become, become whoever they're going to be on your own because you don't want to be like an ogre, you know, who's like making them do something they don't want to do. And again, I think in, the, in that pattern of the world, I think there's some goodness in that. I do think that, uh, that, that it would be a bad thing to try to force your kid to be what you weren't. 
So if you didn't make it as a baseball player, I don't think you should try to force your kid to be a baseball player. You know? uh, or if you, always, if you always wanted to be a ballet dancer, but your parents wouldn't let you take ballet, I don't think you should try to make your kid like, be that. Like, it's not, don't live vicariously through them and all that kind of stuff. I think that stuff is good. I think it's good to expose kids to different things, let them arrive at their own conclusions about stuff. Maybe they're inter- interested in something you never were interested in. Let them be their own person. All that's, I think there's some goodness in that. Let them arrive at those conclusions in their interests and their hobbies and even political views and all those kinds of things. That stuff is good. But the mistake happens when we take that pattern and we apply it to Jesus too. I don't think that it's the same way with Christ. Now let me explain myself. And let me, look, let, me let the Bible explain it too. Look at the, uh, let's see. Look at verse 7. Look at verse 6 actually. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Teaching them diligently to your children. I, to me, that doesn't, that doesn't say, let's sit down and let's do like a month on all these different world religions and then like cross our fingers and hope that they like pick Jesus. Teaching them diligently means teaching them diligently. That yes, kids, I, I think they need to like explore like their personalities and their interests and all that kind of stuff and let, let that, some of those things unfold very naturally. When it comes to Jesus as parents... You're to teach them who he is. Now, this does not translate as force it down their throat. You know? It doesn't mean um, handle it in such a weirdo way that they end up hating God and hating the church because, because you were not prayerful and you were not gracious in the way that you did that. I'm not saying force Jesus on them. There's a difference between forcing them and teaching them with diligence. You teach them who he is. You teach them what he's like. And some of that happens at home with them. Some of that is, is by bringing them into community like this and bring, being a part of a church and being in a small group and letting them have peer interaction, but also interaction with, with adults and, and that, all that kind of stuff. Um, you, you teach them. You don't beat them over the head with it. But you paint a really, really clear picture on purpose of who God is. So yes, they, they, arrive at, they will arrive at their own conclusion. And yes, you hope that it's Jesus. And yes, there's a chance that it won't be. But there's a difference between letting your kid decide if they want to play sports or be into arts. And then letting them... Uh, difference between like letting that like play out naturally... And then just kind of letting their relationship with Jesus play out naturally too. So God says, you teach them. You lay it out. You be clear. Don't be weird. Don't be forceful. But this is, that's what discipleship is. So he's entrusted these kids to you for that to happen. And he's to happen in an organized way. And, so, and I, think, I think that, to me, is probably one of the like, most nerve-wracking things it's got to be about being a parent. It's like, how do you raise your kids in such a way that they, like, how do you, how do you involve them in, like, in Christian community, and how do you involve Jesus in your family? How do you do all that stuff and make him attractive, and, 
but not do it so much that they end up being pushed away. You know, say, I don't want anything to do with that. Uh, I mean, that's a, that seems like a r- real weird balance. But the awesome thing is, there's not a single thing that you do to make him appealing or to make them push away. Jesus does the drawing, you know. And he tells us all over the scriptures, like, look, come to the word. Teach them to pray. Teach them to interact with others. Be faithful. And the picture gets painted because he's the one that paints it. So yeah, we're not forceful, but we are diligent in our families. And we try to do as good a job as we can as a church of equipping parents. And I always talk about this in membership, our membership classes. That if some kid gets to an age and they're, they're kind of starting to ask questions about, about Jesus, like there's really like good questions. And the, I don't want to get that phone call and says like, hey, you know, so-and-so is uh, you know, asking really good questions. So how about you, co- you know, come on, pastor, you come over and you just you lead them to Jesus. Because I'm not going to do it. That's not my job. That's your job as a parent. Now, I'll, I'll coach you a little bit and equip you for that conversation, but you need to have that conversation. I'm not going to have that conversation. If I ever have kids, I'll have that conversation. And so one of the patterns of the world is you, take your, so you send your kids to school to learn, you know, book learning, and you send them to play sports to learn how to be athletic, and you send them to the music teacher to learn how to do this, and you send them to, to the church to learn like the Jesus stuff, and then the parents just kind of manage that, you know, make sure they're there on time and do their homework, and they're just kind of in like management position. That doesn't, that's not how it works with Jesus. He says, no, no, you're the primary discipler of your kid. You teach them diligently, and you get in a church that helps you know how to do that. So, that's the second pattern. The third pattern is kind of similar, but it's also, I think, kind of different. third pattern of the world says this, that your kids need to think that you're cool. You know? Like, they got to like you. And that means that you can't ever make them mad because then they don't like you. See, when I was coming along, there were people, there were friends of mine who had parents and their parents were trying to be like the cool parents, you know. So back then, it was like they were the ones like, you know, buying, buying the alcohol for, you know, or like having like the parties and stuff like that, but like put all the keys in the bowl, you know. Like, and they were always like trying to be like the cool parents or whatever. Now, cool parenting looks, I think, a little bit different because it seems to be starting when they're really, really young to where you never want to make your kid unhappy. So it's like, well, I mean... She just eats, she just likes to eat gummy worms, so that's like all that we give her because she won't eat anything else. So we just keep giving her gummy worms. Okay. Because when we try to give her like a chicken nugget, she pitches a fit. But what's happening is parents end up projecting onto their kids. My kid, I put a chicken nugget in front of her, she got mad at me, and I don't want her to be mad at me. I give her a gummy worm, she's happy. I'm a cool parent. And it happens when they're so young, and we wonder why kids are growing up, and they're like just brats, you know? I was, at this, I was at this college thing, and it wasn't a BCM thing, it was something else, but a bunch of college students were there. And they were just whining 
and complaining about all this stuff, you know. And I'm just looking, I'm like, I'm watching this little group of them, I'm like, I bet your parents just gave you whatever you wanted your whole life so that you would think they were cool because they just, just want to be liked, you know. That's the, the pattern of the world is becoming that more and more and more is you can't upset your kids because you're gonna, they're going to grow up warped somehow or something, you know. I think the transformed mind, this is a, a less obvious takeaway from this verse. I'm just going to admit it. Look what it says. So verse 7. See if this describes coolness, okay, to a 13-year-old. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit down in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. So all the time, all the time, your parents are talking about the Lord. Then, not only that, you have to bind them as a sign on your hand. And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. So you'll see in Jewish community, they have the little box right there. It has the scriptures in it. Tell me that's cool. <laughs> you shall write them on the doorposts of your houses and on your gates. You think that's cool? You think any of those verses sound cool? Not when you're 13. But notice, there's just not this like exception clause in there. Be like, as long as your kids are cool with it, how about you like talk about the Lord at home until they pitch a fit? Let's bind the scriptures around us in a physical way. So that our, our, our hands, you know, where the most action happens is just literally just wrapped in the Word. Let's wrap the Word around our minds. But let's do it until your kids decide that's not cool, that you're not a cool parent. And as soon as they pitch a fit, like, just don't make them do it anymore. Just see, see how far you can go and whatever, and just do the best you can, you know, whatever. That's not what it says. It says you teach them diligently, and you talk to them about it, and you do this, and you do this, and you do this. And to this day, if you go to Jerusalem, they got the Bible wrapped around their arms and strapped around their heads, and it's on their doorposts, and they recite the Scripture every day because they know that's not a joke. Now, I'm not saying that this is the way that we need to carry this stuff out, but what I am saying, I think when it comes to parenting, in a paragraph that's dealing with parenting and raising kids, I think it is saying that your kid's opinion of you is not the driving force in how you make decisions. The driving force is what Jesus has to say. So yeah, in the pattern of the world, I think it's fine to want your kids to like you. It's one of the most important relationships that you'll ever have in your whole life. There's nothing sinful about desiring your kids to think that you're awesome. That's great. But, but that desire to be awesome in the eyes of your kids cannot trump being obedient when it comes to things like discipline and structure. It just it can't be that way. And a reason why it can't be that way is because within your family, okay, the way that, the way that you make decisions, the way that, that you uh, approach life, the way that you are disciplined, the way that you're structured, the way there is um, different roles that's being played and, and um, submission in different accounts, you're teaching, them what the, what, you're teaching them what it's like in the kingdom of God and you're teaching them what the Trinity looks like. 
So as I said earlier, in marriage, a husband and wife are a copy of Jesus and the church. And so you're a copy of the original. And so you look to the original to say, how does, how, what should this look like? I believe in the family, it's the same thing. I believe that you look at the Trinity and you say, okay, in the Trinity, there's Father, Son, Spirit. They're all equals. So in your family, parent or parents, kids, all equal, right? Equal image bearers. But within the Trinity, there are different roles. And there are different responsibilities. And there is submission in regard to authority. It's the same way in your house. So if your kids think that they rule the house, you're portraying to them, you're showing them a wrong picture of what the Trinity looks like. They go, oh, preacher, you're being too deep with it. No, I'm not being too deep with it. Your kids need to understand authority. They need to understand structure. They understand roles. They also need to understand being valued. So I'm not saying you talk down to your kids all the time. I'm saying you treat them like image bearers, but you also treat them as a family unit and have to understand that guess what? Mom and dad, are they they trump you. And so when it's time for family dinner, it's time for family dinner. When it's time to go to church, it's time to go to church. And when it's time for family Sabbath, guess what? You ain't going nowhere. They need to understand that. Because God uses that to teach them about deeper things and more important things. So one of the things we've studied together, going through the good and beautiful God, as we've looked at just the, the um, you know, God as Father, and how some people have a really, really great understanding of that, and some people just have a terrible understanding of that. And a lot of that comes down to our earthly examples. So... If you want your kid to understand what God's like, then make your house look like the Trinity. Make your house look like the kingdom. I was talking with some folks a couple years ago, and we were just just talking about how fast our kids are growing up, and just at the ring, how at one point there was one. Like you you heard one baby crying in the back of the room. Um, And then very quickly, there's just, there's a whole mess of them. And it's awesome. It seems like a lot of us have been, we've been in some like, like a camp or a small group or something like that where, where somebody asks you like, or, or you hear somebody make a statement that's like, if you can't say the date, if you don't know the date where you were saved, then you don't know, you probably aren't really saved. And one, one thing I, I have in mind for our church is these kids that are coming along, I want that conversation to frustrate them. Because I want them to sit there and rack their brains and be like, look, I can't even answer your question because I, I literally can't think of a time when Jesus was not a part of my life. I can't give you a date. Because in my house, he was the centerpiece. That's what we're going for. That's what these families have committed to. As a c- church community, that's what we're all getting on board with, is this idea that the pattern of the world in regard to family, some of it's good, some of it's not so good. We need to think, learn to think differently about the family. That means that God comes first. It means that we teach our, til- our children diligently. Not in a forceful way. But we just work together to, paint a re- to, like, to be used by God to paint a really beautiful picture of who He is. And we just don't let that desire to be cool and have our kids like us be the driving force in how decisions are made. Jesus shows us how to do that. We, we pray and we make a plan to move forward 
And it gets to that point where when Jesus is the centerpiece of, of everything that we're doing, everything falls into, into place. I had a youth minister coming along. He explained that the, the two commandments, the two greatest commandments, you know, love God, love others. Uh, he explained it like, uh, like when you're buttoning up a shirt. We probably all like went to go and button up a shirt one time, not paying attention, and we get the buttons out of whack. You know, we don't know until you get to the bottom and the whole shirt's like off. Uh, it says the first commandment, it's like getting that first button right. And the second commandment, all right. And everything else falls into place after that. That when, when this passage, when we start to take this stuff seriously, and I, I believe that we are as a community, the more deeply we are serious in how we approach these kinds of things, I believe the more things fall into place. And I believe that some of these kids are going to grow up and they're going to be like, look, don't even ask me when I was saved because I don't know. Pretty sure I was born saved. That's what we're going for. And I don't think that any of us should be like super intimidated or pushed away by that. Uh, because Jesus has made it possible for this to be real. Jesus has given you everything that you need for life and godliness. Through your knowledge of Him. Him who has called us to His own glory and goodness. So if you're a parent, you're totally equipped to do this. If you're, if you're a part of the church and you're not a parent, you're like, I don't even know how to support them. Jesus will show us how to support each other. It's fine. We should go boldly and confidently into these kinds of things. Because He's made a way for that to happen. And that's good news. That's good news. Let's, uh, let's, let's pray together. We're going to sing a little bit. Lord, I thank You for this group that you have gathered together. And many are here because, um, because of the family dedication, but on a higher level than that, we know that this is, this is not a random group of people that have come together. That regardless of reasons for being in attendance, that you and your sovereignty have gathered this group. You've gathered this group for to hear these songs and look at these verses and to meet some of these people and to shake some hands. and You, you use all that stuff to put us in tune with you and who you are. We thank you, Father, that, that you put us into families, whether we're blood-related or we're talking about a church family. These are all reflections of the Trinity, reflections of the kingdom. We just thank you that, you that you've put us in relationship with one another, which is empowered by the fact that we're in relationship with you. And so thank you, God. Thank you for making this all real to us. Thank you that anyone here who's a parent or ever will be a parent can hear some of these things and not be pushed away with intimidation, but can draw near because you're the one that makes it all real, makes it all happen. We love you and we just want to sing just a little bit in response to what you have done. We can say that we are one big family here because you call us your sons and daughters. That we sit at your table. That you've given us new names and a new heart and a new identity. We love you.
We pray this all in your name. Amen.